This is the Game Dev Show. I'm Kaylee Hurst, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Luke Greenaway. Luke, how are you? I'm good, Kaylee. I'm good. Extremely excited. I know. We're always excited, and I think it's going to maybe... Maybe someday we'll stop being so excited, but I keep having such fun guests. David was so fun to talk to. Do you know what I loved? I loved that David used to be in Club Penguin at Disney, helping kids and parents with internet protocol, what's right, what's wrong, etc. during the day and then in the evening. And at night, he would be in Shreddy Kruger, um, a heavy metal band. And like, yeah. It wasn't just him, but the entire band was like that. <laughs> That was a fun story. So our guest this week was David Ecker. He is a lead producer. Well, now he's a lead producer at CCP. Um, but as you'll hear in the episode, has had a varied career. Also, he is a legit rock star from his days and Shreddy Krueger. It was a really cool conversation. I love talking to him about live ops. I mean, the technical process of the games that he's worked on has been it was amazing to talk to, but Luke, I think you know my favorite part. Yeah, I think I do. Okay. We're not going to talk about it now. We can cover <laughs> it. In, in the, <laughs> we're just going to get into the episode. Uh, so here it is, David Ecker. I mean, I think my first question, what I want to know, like I want you to paint a vignette for us of what you were like growing up. Like what kind of kid were you? Were you always into games? What was your favorite game? Tell us, Tell us a story about growing up. Yeah, like, uh, I don't really even know how I got into games. Maybe like I was two or three years old and my parents were just like, hey, we're going somewhere. And they had a newspaper ad and it was like someone selling an NES. Like it would have been like, I think it was 91 or maybe like right before the Super Nintendo came out. So some people in town were selling an NES with a bunch of games. My parents are like, here, we bought this for you. And I had no idea what this thing was. I was like, okay, like cool. And then my mind was just blown. Mario 3 was my go-to. I love that with a passion. And uh, we used to just leave the, the the NES on for like an entire week because you couldn't save. And yeah, I was like three years old, so I couldn't really beat it in a single sitting and just being so amped every time I beat a level, just like high-fiving my dad and hugging my dad. <laughs> so pumped on it. Uh, so yeah, video games were you know very, very early age for me. But then it kind of stuck with me forever i was definitely a nintendo guy i only had friends with playstations i was big into the dreamcast i was that kid who got one of those and just burning all games because there was no anti-piracy on it and that ruled so much had the entire catalog of that system and then uh what if this has been a sting operation to get you for (laughs) hurting those games back then yeah no doubt (laughs) like uh (laughs) the city i grew up in is like a very beach party town. We have giant ski hills. We get a ton of snow. So, like, where did you was, grow up? Uh, west coast of Canada, a place called Kelowna. So, it's like a couple hours away from Vancouver, the California of Canada. So, everyone is just like, I was just a skateboard, punk rocker, mountain biking, snowboarding, just causing havoc kind of teenager with that sort of thing. And then was super into music and all that stuff. So, like, pretty much my hobbies. Uh, even up until now, are just like playing in bands, playing guitar, and playing video games. So I just never grew up. I was just a, a kid forever. Well, I want to hear because you actually were able to marry playing games with being in a band. 
right? Well, you were at Disney with Shreddy Krueger. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I was actually in a few bands. Well, basically, I graduated high school. My parents were like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Not go to school is what I want to do. (laughs) I kind of want to just like hang out and play in a band and drink booze with my friends and just be 18 years old. So uh, I did that. And then I joined a band that was uh, fairly popular and they were signed to like a good American label. They were called Secret and Whisper. And we did that for a little bit. And then we toured around the US quite heavily with that. And all of us except one guy in the band. So like four of us all worked at Disney and we'd all known each other prior to that. And at that point there, we were all just like the the support department writing emails to kids. And then all of us kind of started going in different directions while at Disney, but just kept the band thing going. So we broke that one up and yeah, a bunch of us played in another one called Shreddy Kruger. And that band, oh man, it's like eight years now we've been doing that one. Took a wee hiatus when I moved to Iceland. Actually, if anyone from that music industry hears this, they can I can spill the beans that we're working on new Shreddy Kruger, which is like the first time in like four years. And uh, uh, I love this game dev show exclusive information. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's some That's kid, awesome. There's some kids somewhere, and we actually owe our label another record. So I hope he doesn't hear this. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so we're chipping away at that, and then like I like I play in a band out here in. Iceland. I'm actually sitting in our like music studio room at the CCP office. We just got like our sweet new office just got built and everyone's moving in. And then all of our audio guys went on vacation. So I'm using it to record vocals for my band. So my neighbors, uh, my apartment don't think I'm like murdering someone. It's like a screamy hardcore yeah. metal band. <laughs> I'm sure they appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, I actually listen to it as well, your band. I listened to it. I did too. I listened to the track. I was listening to a few tracks. I loved Maker. I listened to Maker. Fun fact about that song. All those lyrics are about the game Dead Space. Are they? <laughs> yeah. Dude, you know what I find crazy is that, like, obviously because it's heavy metal, heavy rock, you guys were all, like, obviously working at Disney, speaking to kids and parents about, obviously, these Disney games. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just imagine, like, these guys, <laughs> you guys are like the Power Rangers, right? Like, during the day, you're, you're saving kids from, like, heartbroken moments in video games, and then at night, you're just giving up. Like, yeah. We actually had to be, like, extremely careful to keep our jobs and make sure that nothing crossed over because, okay, let's get real. Or let's, like, dudes in their early 20s going on tour and just being guys <laughs> and yeah it's not the most like kid-friendly sort of thing and when you're trying to keep that we do like tour video updates and that sort of stuff and it's like okay like we're having some drinks or something like that and it's like that's just not a good face to put on for the company so we we made sure to keep it very separate and it actually worked like nobody knew who we were it was like power rangers alter ego kind of thing so on your like tour videos you're like well we're just uh we're playing some cribbage and drinking some herbal tea <laughs> exactly <laughs> just like so it's just some good it's good old kids you know yeah <laughs> i mentioned to you before we actually when we were doing one of our records our label was like a subsidiary of warner brothers and then we brought disney had all these new rules with uh non-compete and like if you're doing something creative at the company you know you have to kind of get it approved sort of thing and it was like, oh, man, Warner is actually directly a competitor for Disney. They're not under the same umbrella. So we had to get like our, our scary metal band approved to be released that Disney didn't want it. And we're just like, come on, Disney, buy us out. Put us on Hollywood Records or whatever their big one is. Like, <laughs> If you get upset by this, we'll actually have made it. It would have been so sweet. 
Yeah. You imagine if this were like, hey, we're going to branch out. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's just like Jonas Brothers, Demi Lovato are on their label. It's like, yeah, not for us. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's crazy. I love that. I do want to hear about your role at Disney. I read a description of it, but I did not realize that this role existed. So you were in something called Club Penguin, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, that was okay. the game I worked for. Okay. I need you to describe it. I don't think I can do it justice. Okay, so Club Penguin came out in 2005, and it was kind of a hotel sort of thing. Like, it was an MMO for kids, but part MMO, part social network, built on safety. And we're really into promoting a safe environment and teaching kids you know, how to be anonymous online, how to protect your identification. And we did a lot of really good stuff for just, like, allowing kids to be kids online. So, like, role play and pretend we, we facilitated a lot of that. And like, we had mini games and all this kind of stuff, but... A lot of people would just go in, hang out, dress up their penguin and chat with their friends and like helped with a lot of kids' social skills and you know, kids who might not have had friends at school. They could be popular there, like really getting into that time where parents were afraid to let their kids on the computer because you know the internet was changing and it was so new to them. And I know kids are brand new, like they don't really know what's going on. This is all fresh to them when you're like seven years old, just even like learning how to type before tablets and you know, iPhones and that kind of stuff. So yeah, we maintained this game here and it just took off like wildfire. Yeah, it was just to make some a safe place on the internet for kids to hang out and chat and make friends. And then it just erupted on the playgrounds, just word of mouth. Everybody was was on there. Yeah, I started there right out of high school. I actually didn't want to work there. My girlfriend at the time, she got a job there and was like, you need to come check this place out. They're hiring a bunch of people. This is before it was bought by Disney. And we got like an hour paid break only had to work seven hour days and got paid for eight. This is the best. Like, yeah, they were just like hooking it, hooking it up for this sort of thing. So she nagged me for like two months and I was like, okay, fine. Like I'll go get a real job. I was like delivering pizza and just, yeah, playing in a band. And uh, yeah, I don't even know what the heck I'd be doing with my life if that didn't happen. <laughs> Did you ever like, as Club Penguin, do you ever see anything and you're like, oh shit, like this isn't right. They're saying things, maybe they've seen things on the internet they shouldn't have. Did you ever have to intervene? Yeah. So like, uh, hey, my first job there is support person. Like you, you do emails. So like there was a lot of correspondence with parents, uh, but a lot of stuff like protection was the big thing. So like approving names, going through transcripts where kids could report to each other if they were feeling like, you know, threatened, someone is being inappropriate, bullying stuff. Definitely seen some shit. I'll tell you that much there. Like, woo, this is a little kid saying this stuff. Like that's wild, but all for the the greater good with that sort of thing. And we nailed it when it was to provide a safe environment like that was one of the reasons why it was so popular that's where kids could be kids on the internet that's great your role right was to like role play as like a specific character yeah that was actually one of my roles we we fired up this uh department called online acting and there was eight of us in it and it was basically our job to play the game all day but to facilitate community so no one ever knew it was people like adults or people that worked there we were just another kid and like we had friends that we would play with and all this stuff but we'd go there to yeah just enable community we're like we dressed an igloo up as the price is right in one of them and we would hold price is right competitions and allow kids to role play with that and we would spread around all the servers so we could you know hit as many of these things as possible so we did a lot of it anonymous but then we did when you go to Disneyland and you meet Mickey Mouse, that's a person in a costume. We did that online. So we had a pirate penguin named Rockhopper. Uh, we had the Penguin Band. That was a four-piece band. 
Cadence was like this hip hop DJ girl penguin. There was a, a bunch of them that we would all log in as and just act upon. And if kids could find you on the servers, uh, they could hang out with you, interact, and we were real people chatting. And that was just like putting the magic into all of it. All I have to know hopper. who your favorite penguin is. Oh, rock hopper all day. Can you speak to rock hopper? No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do a rock hopper impression. <laughs> well, uh, I didn't actually have to speak. I only had to type. Oh, Thanks. that's true. Okay. <laughs> I just imagine you put this like rock hopper costume right now. You're like, guys, I'm already dressed. I'm ready. Like, yeah. <laughs> rock hopper is in the building. He actually did like a rock hopper costume uh, at Disney World in Florida where you could meet him. And all of us are just so jealous. It's like, but oh. we're rock, we're rock hopper. We want to meet him. Like, that's us. God, I'm gonna Google rock hopper after this is done. I gotta, I gotta get a visual on this. Yeah, he's a red penguin. He's got a mean pirate hat. He's got a little <laughs> pet puffle with him. His name's Yar. It's like a little ball of fur that <laughs> hangs out with him. It's super legit. <laughs> oh, well, I think good. I could probably talk about rock hopper for the next hour uh but potentially we should talk about the path uh like from rock hopper to where you are today yeah okay cool yeah tell us us about that yeah uh so yeah once upon a time i was an online red pirate penguin with my little buddy yar and uh then i moved halfway around the world and i deal with internet spaceships now on eve online in between that so after I left Disney, our CEO, he had left a little while earlier and started like an indie company. So he wanted to work on something different, a little bit aged up. And uh, they created a game there for a while. And then they went like really into like the lean thing. And he started just kind of stealing all his favorite people from Disney. And then you know the friends of friends kind of keep pulling everybody over. So I joined that and we made a game called Adventure Capitalist. So I worked on that from the second I, I started there. That studio is called Hyper Hippo. And yeah, so I joined Hyper Hippo. Adventure Capitalist was our game. Yeah, it was a bunch of ex-Disney people. Basically, we took Adventure Capitalist like all over the world. We brought it to mobile was the, the big thing. And we kind of ruined the mobile app store. Then Idle and Clicker Games, like there's a brand new one every week, multiple brand new ones every week now. It's just an awesome genre. It's just made for mobile, that like quick session. It's something to do. You're waiting in line. You're going to the bathroom. You're always winning. You can just win faster on it. That genre holds a beautiful place in my heart still. We took that to a ton of different platforms and really grew that game into just being a, a live op machine. Anything with like sales, how we did events, how we updated the client itself. Yeah, I pretty much just did that 24-7 for a couple of years. Hyper Hippos, awesome. I worked with like a bunch of my best friends and it was just going to the office just to hang with your buddies all day and just make awesome games. It was super fun. Yeah, the last game I worked on with them there uh, right before I came out here was the sequel to it, sequel-ish in the same realm, which is called Adventure Communist. So capitalism was the first one. Communism was the second one. Yeah, the team has really grown that into an awesome game. It's been out for like, ooh, like two and a half years now. The move to Reykjavik was with when you joined CCP? Yeah, so I started talking to the CCP and kind of the what brought me out here. They were really looking for someone to get their game into live service. Basically, some of the goals that we're trying to do with myself is like live events weren't really a thing. Getting into like the live cadence. The CCP used to do like one you know expansion a year and then two expansions a year. Getting into like monthly releases and 
I was coming from the world of multiple releases a week sort of a thing. So really try to help get them into that. And like, you know, what does an event look like? Just trying to build a, a toolbox and you know, design skill set from the ground up here with the teams and uh, really getting closer to publishing, publishing user acquisition, like the whole marketing, promoting of how to make a, you know, a story of the parts that you're, you're creating um, was a big thing as well. So like uh, I was doing all that kind of stuff when I was at Hippo. So it was a, a really good fit. The games are still very far apart, though mm. Eve is like possibly a, the original idol game with just a super beautiful coat of paint <laughs> compared to you know, some other games. The balance is a big part of why the game is what it is. Totally mm. different, but very similar in some philosophies. Yeah, it's weird. I don't actually think, I never think of Eve as an idle game, but then I forget that actually the number one consumption is time within that game. Like everything's about time, yeah. how much time you invest. I know you just touched upon it, but it seems crazy that you obviously went from this lead producer working on the extremely successful adventure capitalist to Eve Online. Yeah. When you think how far apart they are in terms of genre, you don't normally see such a great move from say like one type of game to another and what was that like and how did you have to adapt i suppose going into the world of eve i'll be honest with you it honestly wasn't that difficult there's still a lot of philosophies and especially coming from like mobile was our number one platform when when we were at hippo on capitalist okay we went to like playstation 4 we were on steam with like linux mac and windows we did all these like Facebook, like game room and canvas, like we're on a ton of platforms, but just the, the quick iteration and learning you can do on mobile. I do believe mobile is ahead of console and PC when it comes to live opping games on this kind mm-hmm. of thing, that there was a lot of just philosophies that were like, okay, why don't we just do this? And it was just like, well, that's mind blowing. It's like, yeah, that's like pretty stock in the mobile world. It's not a one for one kind of a thing. You know, we definitely had to adapt it and there's still tons of challenges. This is a huge freaking game we're working on here and how to maintain this thing like this definitely wasn't my team of six people on capitalist yeah i have multiple multiple teams of eight people who who try to do this on (laughs) on eve right now like it's just it is a different beast it's just very scaled up with it but a lot of like philosophies of the content monetization and then mixing it with the eve stuff i'm not an eve nerd i know the game i understand the game and how things work on it but like that's why I have a fleet of smart game designers and people who eat, sleep, and breathe the game. You know, smarter people than I that you can enable on these things and get their thoughts and opinions. A lot of my stuff comes from like delivering on things and setting the goals of what we're trying to achieve and why we're trying to achieve it. No one can do this stuff single-handedly. It takes a, a village for these sort of things. So it's yeah, just really knowing where all the expertise is and sharing the wealth. Yeah, Eve is incredibly expansive, almost ridiculously so that it can put off people new to the game. I suppose that one of the things that whenever I read about Eve and you read these stories and these articles and how it's so player-led, you used to be the live producer then. How do you facilitate that experience, that organic and player-led content and stories without taking away from player freedom? This is actually something we're just like really getting into over, well, I guess like last year and a half now how to bring narrative back into the game because there is so much rich lore that we come up with. There's a line in the sand where you don't want to just write everything for everybody else. You need to let players do it. And as you say, that is the heart and soul. That's why people play this sort of thing because they want to make their own stories. 
let's get real. There's no story that we can make that is going to be, you know, any more intense than what any story that a player makes. You have that. The I was there. I was a part of this. Everyone mm-hmm. feels a real like ownership with this game, and they're. It's kind of like you know, where's my place in the world, sort of a thing. Everybody is longing for that. It's a a very unique thing that comes with our game. It comes with the MMO genre, but ours has, yeah, a definite unique spin to it. And like when we do content. Eve is beautiful, but there is so many just pains in the asses we have to deal with when it comes to the design. And it's such a a double-edged sword where it's like, this is what makes it special. But if we didn't have to do this, this would be so much easier. The way we deal with location in the game, one of the challenges we had to do is, okay, we have an event, there's a dungeon. How do we get people into the dungeon? We can't just have like a fast travel or a go there button because Mm -hmm. you actually have to travel to that location. So if we have something that's just in one region of space, Loss is real in our game. It's not permadeath, but like your ship gets blown up and your stuff in it, it's gone. And why would somebody travel for two hours in real game time, risking all of this to go play an event that's over here? That's such a difficult thing that we have to deal with so differently than pretty much every other game out there. A lot of unique design decisions come with it. When I'm hiring designers, it's like, it's a pain in the ass, but it's some of the most fun challenges you'll ever face. Yeah, I think I genuinely think it's amazing. Like, I think I don't play Eve because I have tried and I struggled. <laughs> I'll be completely honest, but do you know what's mad? I'll, I'll still be on like Kotaku Polygon and I'll still read these stories about Eve. I read recently about uh, Chappie 78 and what the Eve community did. And I just thought it was incredible where you have this person who's retiring. It's a really sad story. Obviously, they had cancer. The last thing Chappie wanted was to actually have like this huge battle. And rather than you think, oh, okay, cool. In most games that have been, you know, mates log, lob it into a lobby, you play together, things like this. You're sort of like thousands of ships and people turning up at the same time. Yep. How do you ever, that, that sort of content, that sort of narrative and that community, that, that I almost feel like that's created organically. You can't narrate or create that. Man, using that example, the monument dungeon we did for that is something that came across my plate and one of my teams executed on. Get all this outline it for you super quick. Yeah, that was purely organic. That was player driven. That Chappie initiated it. Like that's it. It's an incredibly you know sad story for it. And our our players just show up. Like everybody is so supportive in the game. And like yes, people are deceptive to each other. And you know everyone hates each other and loves each other at the same time. But mm-hmm. like the, the the friendship machine is what we call it of how these people get together and deal with like the in-game stuff and their out-of-game stuff. Yeah, it turns into this huge organic thing. And at that point, like, there's nothing that we can do to make it better, that we just let people mm-hmm. do it. And that's the beauty of the sandbox we've created. But yeah. we do everything in our power to support. So like the Chappie Dungeon was something that, you know, we, we heard about this. It was an email from our uh, community manager to myself and like our creative director and art director. Is there something we can do? And then like, Okay, yes, we'll we'll figure it out. We start bouncing ideas, like what do we need to do to create this? And yeah, then Chappie announced that he's he was retiring his character on a specific date. And then we just pushed everything. Like it was no questions asked pretty much. It was like, oh, we like I noticed it from the Kotaku article. Like back in Slack, like, hey guys, we need to expedite this by a week. Mm. Like this needs to be out before he retires his character. And it definitely pushed something else, but that doesn't matter because that something else is a feature that if it goes out a week later, it doesn't matter. This is stuff we need to do. This is our version of supporting our community. And 
CCP is extremely good at just being connected to the community. Our our rules, our lack of rules that allow us to just be active participants in that is is one of the magical things about uh, how we interact with our players. Mm. I mean, I think I'm hearing <laughs> in two very different worlds. Like when you were at Club Penguin, your job was this community curation and community building, almost like guerrilla community support. And it's interesting to hear in like such a very different world, how that community building has transitioned into your role now. I think a lot of that, I might've just got put in a very opportune place where like community over everything was kind of what I learned from day one on this thing, even on Adventure Capitalist. Okay. It's not a very social game on this, the community and the feedback and how we interacted with people our support people, our production people, all the developers like is like always been like a, a core pillar of how to maintain a game. And especially in like the, the games of a service world that we live in now, you have to do it or you're going to be dead in the water. You need to foster mm-hmm. that community because you need those people. You need to, to sustain your audience. You need to sustain the, you know, the positive and the negative and fuel that fire because you want people to play your game for years and years and years. Like Eve just hit its 17th birthday. Jeez. Adventure capitalists, they hit a little over five years now. Sadly, Club Penguin shut its doors late last year, but that was going on yeah, 12 years, I don't know, something like that. Quite a bit of time on these things, and you need that community to sustain you for it. Mm. A lot of it you can like look back, but it used to be a game-led market where there were less options, less platforms, and fewer IPs to choose. So you would have more players playing each game, even though there are far more players now than there were, say, 10, 15 years ago. But now there are thousands of games. Like, look at Steam. Steam has, like, what, three and a half, four thousand games released on it each year. You have multiple consoles. You've got mobile as a platform. Many new genres that we didn't used to have. There are obviously a lot more players now. Like, the player base total has increased exponentially. However, because there are so many games... Players are now the greatest commodity within the games industry and everyone's vying for their attention. And I think you're right. I think what Eve, you've created Eve and obviously touching upon it within your other roles and on other titles like Adventure Capitalist. I do think it's like player-led creation and player-led community to an extent, which keeps people feeling part of something because they're contributing to the greater narrative. We actually just did one project. It came up when we're all working from home due to COVID. We've done some like citizen science projects in our game called Project Discovery, and we got hit up by a group of scientists. One group we we're working with out of Switzerland, a guy on the front lines in northern Italy and Modena, and yeah, out of Montreal and Vancouver with cancer foundations and some of the big universities. And we had the opportunity, and we jumped on this. It took us about ten weeks. Myself and one of my teams with a couple other people uh, borrowed to join us. We basically put out a feature in our game that. We put in COVID data, so samples from real people. You know when you get like a a blood sample and like the Mm -hmm. little slide and you put it under a microscope? It's like that sort of thing. So we get these data sets of that and like healthy tissue and, you know, some other comparable diseases like SARS and that kind of stuff. And we put that into the game in a way for players to mark the the boundaries of the, you know, the the blood splatter type thing, the, the cells. And... That is just helping players mark COVID data. And this data goes right back to teams of scientists. And we've had this data. It's all 
open. So it's not any like privately sourced stuff. Anyone in the world who is a scientist who wants to use this can go into the shared bank. And we have our players. It's been out for a month and we've had like 15 million data sets crunched by these guys to go back to the scientific community to understand this thing better. This has nothing to do with our business goals as a company. Like this isn't helping us, you know, retain players more or drive more revenue or anything like that. Like, you know, the the basic things that every business needs. This is a community driven thing. This is everybody showing up for the greater good on something that is affecting the entire world. I can do my part and, you know, me playing my game, Eve, is helping scientists potentially solve this even a couple of minutes quicker is worth everybody's time on this. That's just a, a community building thing. It creates the, you know, are you doing this? I'm doing it. Okay, I'll, I'll play a little more or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. There's so much to it. There's not always these like quantifiable and measurable ways to you know, justify these things we do. That's incredibly cool. So getting back to like your role, so you, obviously you're now lead producer on EVE. Your past obviously has predominantly been like obviously as a live producer. How do you think your you know experience as a live producer has helped you for the role of lead producer? I'll be honest, it's not that much different. A lot of it came from us just like <laughs> fixing our organizational titles, <laughs> if you want to be totally honest <laughs> about it. Uh, a lot of it is still the live stuff. A lot of it was like a, a mentality switch as well. Like we had we had divided our games. What's the live game and what's just like the gameplay systems side of it? Everybody's a live game right now. The launch button was pushed yeah, 17 years ago. We're a live game. Everybody's focusing on that. And it's just kind of a new way to organize. Most of my core responsibilities come with all the content in the game, uh, how we do our version of seasons, all of our limited time events, but also like our tooling that comes with the making content and you know narrative content and that kind of stuff. And then also like our commerce-based systems and all our localization systems, so like how we span territories and you know the requirements and translation tooling and quality with that all the super heavy engineering stuff when it's like the back end of our commerce and payment systems and all of our new products and that sales, all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a a mixture of all of that is kind of my like main day-to-day focus and all the teams under those. Nice. That was a good, that was a good answer for basically it's the same. Uh, It's the same. (laughs) I know. Like everybody's live. We we used to say this at, at, at Hippo where it was like, okay, like, I want to take this game up to like worldwide release and then I'm going to start working on something else. No, like if you're lucky enough to get the the numbers of being like, yeah, this actually might, you know, people want this game. People are playing it day over day. We're worldwide release. That's just step one. You've officially done phase one. And now phase two is where it gets even harder, where it's like, how do I actually build upon this and make sure people still give a rip and want to play it? It's never ending. That phase never ends. Until your game goes under. (laughs) I was going to ask you about like the role of producer for different platforms, but I suspect the answer is roughly the same. You know, you have to keep the fun. You have to think about getting the game done in the same way. Yeah. I would say like, so I've never really worked on maybe one day. It kind of scares me, but it'll be fun. Like one of those things, like I'm going to go work for this game and it's like a six year development cycle before we put anything out. It's like that seems... That's not the world that I've lived in. I can guarantee I can pull that off. Like it's not a question, but like it's just different. I really like the the live stuff and being able to like get feedback from the community. There is event road mapping. There is, you know, what's the client update road mapping? And okay, now we're we've been live for so long and our 
code base is turning into spaghetti and they actually need to just do some maintenance on this. It's it's a really big balancing act and the timer is always on. You can't just disappear from your community because they're expecting stuff. They want more. They're thirsty for it. And if they're thirsty for it, that means you have a success story and people want your your product and what you're doing in it. You can't really pump the brakes on it. I'm curious how you've seen the live ops process change in your time and then what you think is coming next with so much growth in mobile, especially in emerging markets. How do you see live ops changing in the next few years? Yeah. Look at the emerging market stuff. I went to Japan like four years ago and I remember just like being at cafes and on the trains and stuff like that and just seeing how complicated some of the games were. And I think that's starting to break more and more into the Western audience. Yeah, maybe over the past month, I've sunk a healthy like hundred and something hours into Stardew Valley, started another file on that. It's on mobile as well. Mm-hmm. If I'm like playing this on my Switch and pumping that many hours into it, would I play that much on my phone? Because I've been kind of accustomed to you know more short session things. And if I'm putting 30 minutes of playtime in, how, how far am I going to get? But a lot of that stuff, especially in mobile, is becoming like a lot of people's main multi-hour a day device of play. That changes quite a bit, especially in places that are starting to get, you know, better access to data plans and can yeah. and can play these things and just like better phones for cheaper prices. Uh, exactly. And actually having the ability to spend and support the games that they want to get more out of. There's a lot of that kind of stuff that is just actively changing all the time. The live ops stuff, people just want more. People are thirsty, and especially when they love a game. Weird stuff is starting to happen. Let's just quote Fortnite for a sec. Their introduction of live concerts and movies and like artists using it to unveil new songs. In what universe is your first single in Fortnite during an event? Like that's crazy. (laughs) So so much for the music video. Like what is that anymore? (laughs) I saw that at Drive-In. Did they show Inception? And you could go in and watch Inception. And I was like, this is the weirdest Drive-In I've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah. They had like a, a clip of the new Star Wars movie that was like exclusive there yeah. before it came out. Wild, wild partnerships. These are not just cosmetic takeovers anymore. Yeah, there is another level. But I still, I, do you know, what? I know this sounds crazy, right? I'm going back to Eve, but a few years ago, I did read about a, just as one of these stories of Eve. And it, it was basically that there was this huge battle set up between two federations. There were people who don't play Eve, like two of the guilds, huge war was planned, this huge battle. And, um, there are stories of people basically finding out where opposing players lived and going around and cutting their uh, their phone lines and their internet cables. They couldn't log on. I don't know if it was picked up again in Polygon or IGN or someone picked this up and this, they ran this story. And uh, I was reading about it and I was like, player-created content is such a huge thing for Eve. You could almost say that Eve in some ways defines what player-created narrative actually is, considering how many people pick up on the stories, read the stories, and like, God, players just do this. How do you think this is going to carry on evolving? Not just Eve, but in other games. One that I love so, so much, and it's like a tool to design around, but also a tool for players to scheme around is just like time itself. So like we have... Our game is one server, everybody's there. And if you are a corporation and you're trying to do something and 
basically when someone's trying to like destroy one of their structures, there's like a cooldown period. So when that timer ends, you can hammer it again to destroy it. Well, if you're in a bad time zone, if you're in East Coast US and then going against someone in Australia, well, you might have opportune time. You might be like 7 p.m. and being like, I just got off work. I had dinner. Like, I'm ready to game right now. And then that poor guy in Australia who's trying to defend his stuff, man, it's like three in the morning. And I, I'm going to lose all my stuff. And that's just a unique thing to design around. Do you know what's weird about that is that almost applies it back to real life. That sounds weird, but like 24-hour supermarkets. You need a security guard at the supermarket 24 hours a day, but you can't have the same security guard. So you have three and they work in shifts to protect your supermarket. I don't know if this is a terrible example, but like, it's, like the, it's the same with the corporations. You've got a space station and you're sitting there trying to recruit on the forums and look, guys, we need someone to protect. I mean, I can't believe it's got to that point. There's a thing too, like player gatherings, whether they're hosted by players in different countries and hubs where there's a lot of them or the, the official ones that, that we host ourselves. COVID stopped us from doing our fan fest. We get about like a thousand players who come out here to, to Iceland for a long weekend. We just take over all the bars downtown. We go to like the big concert hall, Harpa, and rent that out. All the devs do talks. A bunch of the players do talks. We do like big keynotes and announcements and stuff. It's the getting drunk at the pub and everybody in their corporations who see each other in person or have never met each other until now. All that bonding. But then there's so much scheming. We had to cancel mm-hmm. it this year because no one could travel. We're like, how does that actually affect the next year of the game? Because some dude in this corporation didn't come to Iceland, you know, have a couple too many drinks, lip off somebody else, and then convert him to betray somebody on this. Just the meta layer can go so deep oh on God. this. And then it just turns into chaos. Yeah, the months to ensue on this sort of thing. It gets to be weird layers with that in the best way. Yeah. How do I get an invite to that? That sounds like so much fun. <laughs> we can get you out here <laughs> next Oh, my year. God. Gonna, I love I'm, that so much. It's, it's, it's actually awesome. We Journalistic can... purposes only. Like, so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> you do read about this, though. Like, again, like, reading so much about you recently. But you hear about, you know, like that recruitment example you were saying earlier, like finding someone based in Australia. But you read about, like, big corporations. They'll recruit someone who will actually already be a player for an opposite corporation. And they will they will stay inside that other corporation, almost like a spy, for like six months, like they're undercover. And you're just, there's nothing else like it. Like there is no other game like that. Yeah, people in EVE are extremely good at playing the long game on this stuff. It's wild sometimes how far back these things go. It is cool. Do you think it's cool? Do you know what? It's so cool with Kaylee, honestly. Like, I, And this is with all due respect to EVE, because obviously the stories we shared today are just like the tip of the iceberg. But <laughs> yeah. it is so hard to get into. And I've tried to... I have really, really tried. And I, even when I was younger, I, I played like Elite Frontier and things like this, which are like back in the day, they're also quite complex. How do you make even an attractive proposition for new players without detracting from what we've spoken about today, like that core experience that vets love? Yeah, like uh, basically if you like MMOs, if you like spaceships, like we have a lot of that stuff going for us. Like if you're into this kind of thing, like we know what kind of people enjoy this you know subject matter with it but yeah you're kind of hitting on the it's difficult for us to to get our new users in but if it's your thing and you can get over that first hurdle you are here for life and you will love every minute of it so we're actually we're actually dedicating uh, a lot of time and just basically we don't want to dumb eve down we don't want to lose what makes it special 
But there is a difference between something difficult to get into and something challenging to get into. If something's challenging, is it challenging because it's got depth to it? Or is it challenging because no one explains something to you and you just get... Is it hard to swim in the deep end of the pool if someone just chucks you in? Or is it hard to swim there if someone teaches you how to doggy paddle over? Like There's such a stark difference of it. Eve is hard. Eve is deep. Eve has a lot of layers to it. And we're, we're trying to pull away the things that prevent people from seeing the negative side of the, the difficulty so they can actually have fun on the difficult stuff. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's like yeah, no, the it English does. language coming into play here. <laughs> I like that yeah. though. I like the, um, is it difficult or is it challenging? Because those are two different things. Exactly. Kaylee, we should do it. I honestly do think we should just start our own corporation. Okay. Um, so we can make it to the Reykjavik meetup in 2021? We'll go stormtroopers or something. I don't know if that would offend people. I don't know. <laughs> We'll figure something out. We'll figure something out. No, we got tons of cosplay. You'll be able to figure something out. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do it. I actually, do you know, the thing is, when I talk about it, I know this is crazy, right? You know, you share stories with your friends when you play games. Kaylee and I will sit there and we'll talk about our own game and stories to each other every day, basically. But when you're chatting with your mates about games, you know, Eve's one of the few games where you'll read about other people's experiences and you'll be like, God, I want to do that. Like, that sounds so cool. It, it shows you guys are doing a great job. Like such a good job with that fine line between developer-led content and player-led content, if that makes sense. Man, there's so much stuff that goes on that like, man, I work here. I'm in the building right now and I don't even know that this stuff is going on sometimes. There's so much of it that is just happening. Like there's so many people making their own story on this stuff. Like we have a big war brewing right now and it's waiting for someone to pull the trigger on it sort of a thing. And we just like, we're all excited to watch it unfold just as the people who are participating in it there's a lot of people who are just hardcore eve players here like we hired tons of people from our community with a with a skill set that is like you know even if they weren't eve people their skill set matches what we're looking for here and just having that knowledge of the community and being players at the same time everybody gets Mm -hmm. very invested in this kind of stuff and it's just it's exciting in the walls here to see more mmo developers should do that I know developers do that in general. Like I know a lot of developers hire from their own community, but I think with MMO developers, it's actually quite lacking for some reason. There's often a disparity between what the community is asking for, the community feedback, and actually what gets developed, the features that get added in MMOs. They can mm-hmm. differ quite often. And that happens with all MMOs, but it sounds like you guys have got it down, you know? Yeah. It's one of the challenges that just there's no shortage of ideas, but there's shortage of time and people to pull them off. I think you guys should get a journalist, like an in-house journalist, and they should just cover what goes on weekly in EVE. You could report on it. You you genuinely could report on it. (laughs) We've we've actually started firing up a video series called The Scope, and uh, we've ebb and flowed of how frequently those things go down, but it's kind of like a mock news broadcast sort of a thing. Yeah, we have so, so much of this narrative stuff happening and the players choosing and directing a lot of the content in the game right now. We have a new one coming out. Yeah, tomorrow on Thursday for this, it goes over a lot of the stuff. Like a lot of it's just like reporting on what the players did in like a, a player New Eden Eve kind of voice uh, mm-hmm. with it. Where do we find it? Is it YouTube? Uh, yeah, YouTube and like it'll be linked on all of our socials. Yeah, we have tons and tons of them if you want to go check any of them cool. out. Yeah, yeah, well, we will. I um, think on that note, is there anything else that's going on that you want our audience to know about or anything we didn't cover that you want to make sure we chat about? Yeah, uh, 
I want to talk some Pokemon. I don't know why you like grass types. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh God. I can't believe you actually, I'm luckily this isn't a visual medium because I'm blushing so much right now. <laughs> Pokemon is my favorite franchise of all time. Like I love Pokemon so much. It's the best. I actually just, I think Luke thinks it's a graveyard when I play Pokemon Go. Like, I'm the only person still playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> and I keep trying to convince him that's not the case. I think we could keep talking about Pokemon all, all day. And maybe we should, actually. But I think we probably end the episode here. <laughs> so, David, thank you so much for your time. This is a joy. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. It's excellent talking to you. Luke, I am still... A little too excited about all that Pokemon talk. Yeah, that was super guys, fun. Uh, you guys really hit it off with uh, Pokemon, Jibba. Uh. <laughs> I legitimately was uh, like blushing. I don't know how to explain that response for being called out on loving yeah, Pokemon Go so I, much. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever heard you quite so excited, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few chances in my life that I get to show off uh, my encyclopedic knowledge of Pokemon. So that was fun. You were pretty Dude, into the Eve Online talk. Like, I just think Eve is it just sets standards in terms of player-driven narrative. Um, I, I think when you listen to what they do at Eve, like listen to David and how they facilitate rather than dictate that narrative, I think it's um, I think it's a very unique yeah. thing they have going there. I think it's well not unique because other games are co- copying it, but I, I feel like they're setting the standard, which is great. I think you could sort of say that's what yeah. we're doing here. <laughs> Setting the standard. One episode at a time. We are always looking for cool new guests for future episodes. If you want to be a guest or you want to submit someone, you can go to ptw.com slash the game dev show or email us at game dev show at ptw.com. And uh, we also need to say that everything we say on these episodes, including my knowledge of probably over 300 Pokemon (laughs) (laughs) represents our own views and not those of our company. But this was fun, Luke. Thank you for another good episode. Thank you, David. thank you to David. Great. I feel like we should thank Thank all our guests. Thank you to all our guests we've had on recently. Yeah. Yeah. Does it count if we just say one blanket thank you? Should we say thank you to each one? Um, No, I think that might get painful. But thank you to all of our guests. This has been so much fun. And cheers to more episodes. Game over.